0: blog talk radio interviewing your favorite musicians comedians and other creative souls this is
1: the carrie edelman show Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Carrie Edelman Show. I want to wish everyone a Happy New Year. We have tons of amazing guests coming on in 2013, and joining us tonight to start off the new year is going to be playwright Dave Street. So I'm very excited to have him on. He has a ton of stuff in the works that he's going to be talking tonight about tonight, including his play, The Problem. So we're going to get into all the good stuff that he's going on and just learn about who he is as a person, But before I bring him on, again, I just want to thank everyone for their support. And it's been such a pleasure just interviewing so many talented persons over the past year and a half plus-ish now um, since I launched the show. And the concept of my show that I started was to really bring a forum where I could bring people on in the entertainment industry to support them and help them spread the names and uh, the word out there about who they are. Um, Personally, a little bit about myself. Um, I'm an independent artist. Everything I do, I do on my own. I have my doctorate in clinical psychology, so I work uh, full-time as a clinical psychologist, but my show, just to throw this out there, is uh, purely for entertainment purposes. There's no formal therapy on the air, even though my guests like to joke around a lot um, about just how the entertainment industry can be crazy, as we all know. So, uh, again, I do educational stuff on my show. People have questions, but there's, again, no personalized uh, therapy going on here. Um, Also, I have an album out as a singer-songwriter, and I do some writing for some entertainment magazines. so I really wanted to combine my passion for interviewing people and supporting people, which is how I launched the show. So you're going to get a really good taste uh, on the show of uh, what these people's lives are like, what it's like to be in their profession. Um, Some things I just ask to keep in mind, I'm a huge fan of comedy, big Howard Stern fan here, Uh, but if you want to talk about any types of embarrassing or humiliating stories and we love to hear about those. Uh, just keep any identifying information, please, out of the stories so that we don't personally humiliate or embarrass anyone. So, if you're tuning in, please create a Blog Talk Radio account by going to blogtalkradio.com. If you want to dial in tonight and ask questions, the number is 805 243 1320. And I also have all that information up in the chat room. Uh, I have numerous windows open, so I will try to pay attention to the chat room if people have questions. But I highly recommend people call in because I'm a one-person show here, and I really want to stay uh, focused on the interview. So let me give you some information about Dave, and then we're going to bring him on. So Dave is a playwright. He's a lyricist and a performer. He has written many songs, plays, scripts, and stories over the years. And he once had his own punk theater company downtown in New York City. And uh, he even did a stint as a punk stand-up comedian for the opening for the Ramones, so hopefully you can talk a little bit about that tonight. That sounds very interesting. Uh, Today he's mostly known uh, for his current work as an award-winning children's educational performer, and he's presented numerous shows that he's done at schools around the country for over 15 years. Um, He's also the author of two renowned and acclaimed cutting-edge children's environmental books, and we're going to touch base on those tonight. I'm very curious. He he seems like he has a lot of stuff honing in on the environment and dealing with uh, high-risk kids. So these books we're going to talk about tonight, too. And uh, he also is the MC of EcoFest, which is a New York City environmental festival. Um, He has his own nonprofit organization, which is called D Street Outreach Programs Incorporated. And, again, we're going to talk about all this stuff. He's just got an amazing... uh, resume here. Um, He's also written a number of recorded song lyrics um, for a punk rock band titled The Undead, and we'll talk about that. And then, of course, the main thing we're going to hone in on tonight, I'm going to try to split the interview up into the first part. will be learning about who he is, all the projects he's currently doing, and then we're really going to hone in after we take a break on The Problem, which is his uh, current play that he is working on right now. And this combines the angst of his punk rock roots with a mellowness that reflects him doing theater for kids. So we're going to bring that uh, to the forum tonight and really talk about it. So for more information, you can visit him at dadestreet.net, or you can also, and I highly recommend go check it out. There's some YouTube clips on it. Go to beaproblem.com, and that is where you can find information out about his play. So without further ado, let's uh, bring Dave on the air. I can get a little wordy sometimes. It's probably my psychology of me. Hey, Dave, how are you?
2: Hi, I'm doing fabulously incredible. I'm talking to you.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been such a pleasure talking to you, even just through email. I feel like I know you already, and it's always, you know, much easier when you bring a guest on, you feel like you already have a rapport with them. So it's really cool. Wow.
2: I know. I don't, I'm not supposed to mention you being a psychologist, but that's probably part of it. I mean, like, I know you were saying we're going to find out who I am. I got scared immediately because I have no idea who I am.
1: Well, we'll None find whatsoever. Out a little bit of, what's
2: that? None whatsoever.
1: Oh, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you've done a lot of soul searching through your, your plays and your lyric writing and being a performer. I'm sure I'm sure you know more than you think about yourself.
2: Hmm. Probably. I don't think I ever actually <laughs> stopped to think about it, though.
1: No. Oh, come on. You have to with all your entertainment background.
2: I think I just kept keep going and doing.
1: You keep going and doing. Okay, and you know what? That's interesting. If you want to – we said we were going to do a little, you know, appropriate analysis. Sometimes people do that because they don't want to look at things in their lives. And on yeah. the first even uh, I will comment on that myself. You know, you pile your plate so high and you're so focused on all these other things that you can't really look at the issues that you're dealing with. So very interesting. Okay, so why don't we talk, as I said, I wanted to split up the interview a little bit to, you know, really talk about the problem a little later in the show. We're going to play a song from it, Um, but let's talk a little bit about who you are. Tell us about, you know, where you grew up, where you originally from.
2: Oh, wow. I actually grew up in a place called Inwood until I was about seven or eight years old, and then I was transported to uh, central New Jersey. Okay. Uh where I kind of went where I went to school where I endured school on a very and kind of funny because I'm just going to start throwing things out there because that's not okay. something I, I really like to really think about. I mean, I love my town. Looking back, I love everybody. But I did not have good experiences growing up in central New Jersey. I went to school at a time that schools were not aware of like bullying and things like that. And I, I was a kid who was constantly ridiculed, ridiculed, put down. I think that's why I was like the attraction of punk for me, rebelling against what I – What I considered society to be a place where, like, people in power let bullies make fun of you and pick on you.
1: Why do you think, I I mean, if you feel comfortable, again, I want my guests to share what they feel comfortable with. I think that's interesting because we're going to get into the problem a little bit later on. And as you, you know, mentioned in the bio of the problem, it has a lot of, it looks like it might have a lot of personalized stuff that you might have experienced. Why do you think, like, what particularly led kids to bully you? Like, what was, what were they bullying you about?
2: Okay, I, I went to, uh, I think at that time that kids, I, I don't know if it represents all kids everywhere in mm-hmm. America. That's kind of a, a giant stereotype, which I'm not going to make. But I mean, in certain places where maybe it was kind of a middle class kind of thing, where, where kids grew up in a harsh environment and, and their parents carried over customs from Eastern Europe and places where people were maybe harsh on each other. And mm-hmm. I was ridiculed for my name. The funny thing is, I changed my name. My name okay. wasn't Dave Street. I had a long name. And really? kids would make fun of it and, and really, really vile, disgusting nicknames they would make for Aww. me. And I would like... I mean, I when, I actually used to do an anger management show for schools, kids in school, and I would bring that up. I used to feel like I had a razor blade in my stomach. It's funny because later wow. I wore one around a leather jacket when I became a punk. <laughs> I pick <could laughs> it out of my stomach. I never, I never said that before either. But, uh, wow. but you know what? I really did. I, I, really. There were days. I can ask my mother. I used to have a book of diseases, and I pick up diseases and uh, and said I had them to try to stay home from school.
1: My mother caught on
2: when I was saying I had menopause and stuff like that. That's what she knew. I, I was making it up.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> but, but, no, I mean, really? but, I mean, I think
2: that's why I, I, I try to work with kids now because right. I know. I, I mean, I hope it's better now. I think schools are more conscious. I think people, yeah. I don't think it's because people were bad. I just think schools didn't know about it. Teachers didn't know about it then. But I, I really grew up, I mean, I really had the self-esteem ripped out of me when I went to school.
1: Wow, and it was mostly based, as you said, it started out with your last name. Do you want to share that? If you don't, that's fine. Uh,
2: okay, I'm not going to tell you what they said, but here's the funniest thing of all.
1: Okay. okay, go
2: ahead. My last name is Lichtenstein, and it turned out later on I am on the periphery of being related to Roy Lichtenstein, who, of course, is a world-renowned pop artist. Now, wow. here's the funny thing. I come to New York. And I'm so ashamed of my name that I don't bring it out. Whoever okay. knew if I did put my name out, I would have been invited to all the parties at all the <laughs> art galleries and got to meet there But I was my self-esteem was so mutated and beaten by the negative experiences I had in school that I was too I was too ashamed to even bring out the one thing that probably would have helped me in the York culture.
1: Wow. So when did you change your name?
2: Oh, back like like right after I graduated college. And I knew I wanted to, like, be in music and do stuff then. And I, I immediately adopted it as my – I've been writing lyrics for a long time, and it and it became my, my lyrical name. Okay. started out as a lyricist as Dave Street. And then a few years after that, I moved to the East Village. A friend of mine – actually, a friend of mine prodded me into moving to New York to be part of the scene. First, we moved to Midtown, then ended up moving downtown.
1: Wow. So, but that's interesting. I mean, it took you that long. I mean, despite what you experienced and endured growing up with the the negativity and your self esteem, you know, being really impacted, you didn't change your name until after college. <laughs> Was there any reason yeah. for the delay? I mean, that's interesting.
2: Oh, I I think I never thought of being Dave Street. Okay. I, I mean, you know, I mean, it like I kind of I never, took I mean, on
1: a life of its own when you started doing the lyric writing.
2: I think so, yeah, I just how okay. I had that vision. it was kind of kind of having the vision of that's who I was going to be,
1: wow, very cool, very cool. well what, <clears throat> excuse me, while we're talking about that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your lyric writing? We can you know go into that a little bit and we'll kind of you know go go all over the place that so we can cover as much as we can about you and your you know amazing career. So tell yeah. us how you got Im- interested in writing lyrics and working with some renowned people.
2: Well, I think you know I've always I've always loved music from the time I was a kid. I think music was my release. There was a time when I was growing up, and uh, it was kind of funny. I liked all music. I liked fifties music. I liked everything. I liked the Shangri-Las, Freddie Cannon. Going back to I didn't even know what it was when I was like a little kid. I loved Beatles, everything. But there was a time that my father was in the hospital, and we had some problems. And in my retreat is I used mm-hmm. to go in my bedroom, close the door, and listen to Bob Dylan. Oh, wow. And, you know, it was kind of funny because I know a lot of punks later who actually told me that they were big Dylan fans, too.
1: Interesting. But
2: but I remember, like, at the time of my life that I really had no self-esteem, that I was having a bad experience in the educational system, turning on the radio and hearing Mm -hmm. Dylan sing Positively 4th Street and saying to myself, if that's allowed to be on the radio, anything is possible. And right. I remember, well, like like that, giving me faith that anybody can actually do anything. If Dylan doing "Positively Fourth Street" was actually making the charts on the radio, to me that was like I'm sure. In that sense, music is a liberating force for many kids. Many kids, mm-hmm. regardless of who they listen to, Lady Gaga or whatever, depending on what it is, many kids probably have their hopes lifted when someone who articulates their alienation of society. You know, suddenly as I hit on the charts.
1: Yeah, definitely. The, the music
2: does does give hope to a lot of people.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, whenever I'm, um, I mean, well, we won't get into it. We can talk off the air. But the frustrations I experienced today coming home and working out and listening to, you know, one of my hard rock bands was just, you know, like you said, it's just very liberating. You feel very, you know, freed and it helps you unwind. And I agree, Definitely. So tell us about some of the projects where you did write lyrics for, and also, are you do you play any instruments or do you just write lyrics?
2: No, I, I wish I could. I never could, and I can't. It's funny. I do kids' songs in my in my shows, but I can't okay. carry. I can't. I can't even. I can't even carry a <laughs> tune. Uh, I absolutely. I make Dylan sound musical, basically. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, But I'll tell you something funny, though. I actually, one time, worked as a substitute teacher in a school district when I came back from New York and I came to Jersey and I was helping my family. And I was working, I took a job as a substitute teacher in a city school district. Loved the students Mm -hmm. there. And they said if I would start a rap club after school, they would teach me how to rap. And I started writing, like, to like. Cool music for kids that my friends made me, people I met, I started doing rap songs for kids. Like wow. educational, but 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 not corny ones, really cool ones.
1: <laughs> cool.
2: That very I do in cool. my that I do and that I do in my shows.
1: That's awesome. And, and now so, we're taking
2: a gigantic leap like from one place to another place.
1: Right, right. So just uh, please plug. I know you wrote lyrics for some, you know, some punk bands and you know. Well, well, ba- ba- about basically
2: that. at the very beginning of punk I want, mm-hmm. actually it was kind of the second wave. I mean, I was so lucky. I was down and watched CBGBs when the Ramones and Blondie everyone made it wow. and everything. Uh But I did insert notes for a band. I didn't write lyrics with them. I wrote insert notes for a band that probably was started what became horror punk in the universe. And that band was called the Misfits. I don't know if you ever. If that's your genre of music, you know who they are. But, yeah, I mean, but I've they,
1: heard of them absolutely. Uh,
2: Oh sure, that was Glenn dancing when Glenn was still in the band, and I and I actually did insert notes for Glenn. He asked me to. And, what does but that
1: mean? Uh, guitarist. What's an insert note?
2: Ah uh, well, like in the album, there was a piece of paper. There was an insert notes about ghosts and Monsters that that were at the recording session that I wrote. Oh okay. Bahara Hotel. Mrs. Oh, fans see. know it.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
2: And then their lead guitarist, who was at that time Bobby Steele, was the lead guitarist for the Misfits. And he left and started a band called The Undead, which I really think musically stands up to any band in that genre. And I wrote a song with Bobby. The first song I had recorded in the, in the punk world was by The Undead. It was, on Undead. it was in the Stiff Records. I think in 1980 or 81, it was called The Life of Our Own. Mm-hmm. Cool. And it's amazing. the amazing thing is there are young bands now where I live in Jersey who are in their 20s who know that song, and I have young bands now covering that song.
1: That's That's awesome. Oh, those-
2: We were raised by a computer never had no mom or dad. And the rest of our (laughs) life story was surely just as sad. Abandoned by the ones we loved in a world we couldn't understand. We never got no reason, so we never made no plans. Now we're speeding down life's highway in white vinyl and chrome, but someday we're going to live a life of our own.
1: Awesome. And
2: that was yours? I wrote that, yeah.
1: That's Awesome. uh,
2: there are, like, young punk bands in Jersey who pick me up and, like, drive me to see their bands play. I'm, like, honored. I mean, I'm the, I'm getting to be an old dude, and these young <laughs> punk bands take me to, you know, I'm honored by that. And there's some that's amazing really bands. Cool. And, I, I, and that's where I met one of them. Actually, well, and the, pro, the first person who wrote music for The Problem, we'll get into that later, is Paul of the Living Dead, who's in this amazing band from Jersey called The Bad Hormones. But let's take a step back. Do want to go back to school?
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, no, this is great. No, you're you're great. You're given tons of information. It's really cool, and I really want the audience just to get a feel for who you are as well as the amazing projects that you have out there and are working on. So, yeah, let's go back a little bit. So you go to school, and then talk a little bit about where you went to college and what you majored in. Oh, I went I went
2: to – oh, boy. I went to undergraduate school at Kane University. Mm-hmm. I majored in, in social studies education, and I got my master's degree in education, Uh from Rutgers University did my master's final test thesis question on Plato, and I really want to write a play about Plato that takes place in a cave. I I think Plato, (laughs) anything, you know, Plato knew everything about reality. I mean, I don't know how many thousands, what was he he like? Like 400, I think he was 400 B.C., Plato. Plato knew exactly, if everyone ever, like, studies the cave and the bird in reality, anyway, that's what I did. I drew schools, I thought they were going to fail me because I drew pictures of schools with caves and birds. (laughs) This is how Plato would design a school system. I was sure I was going to fail so I got, like, an A on it.
1: Wow.
2: And I got I got my master's <laughs> degree. It was all true though. So I deserved to get my masters, but uh that's Absolutely. what I did. Absolutely. And
1: then when you got these degrees, were you teaching? Is that were you teaching in school? Actually, I was going to teach.
2: I was going to teach, but then that's when my friend talked me into moving to New York. Okay. One of my college buddies talked me into me moving into New York.
1: Okay. So why don't we why don't we go into that, go down that road a little bit and talk a little bit about, you know, was that initially a good decision for you how do you reflecting back on it now
2: those were wonderful days i wish i could know but uh, and then i met a fashion designer who just became like a friend like my sister friend natasha who was like a famous punk fashion designer i ended up for a while working in her store even managing it temporarily down in east village that's where i met everyone okay Uh, working there. And, yeah, I mean, those were wonderful days. I mean, the thing is, I came to New York with no self-esteem, and I'm Mm going to make myself vulnerable in the fact that I did have a minor drinking problem at the time. And it's easy to blame things on things, but I know. But here's the funny thing. Like, I really, I think because I was so put down in school Mm -hmm. that I didn't believe I was going to get let into clubs. So I would drink to make myself brave enough to storm past doormen. Okay. That's why I drank in New York, and so that was- you know what I, I wish I wish I I could go back and do it over again, because uh, people have told me that TV shows knew I was funny and I was considered for stuff, but they knew I had a drinking problem, so I actually did lose opportunities. But you know, wow. but I, you know, I guess that's why I where I am now, and I guess you mm-hmm. know that's you know I've been sober for like 25 years, which is. Just, uh, a significant That's amazing. period of time.
1: Congratulations. Well, I think I think you make a good point. I mean, everything I think happens for a reason. There's a time and a place and, you know, if you look at things that way, it's a way to reframe, we could say, in psychology, you know, and not look at it as though, oh, I did this, so I lost out on this opportunity because it led you down a different path that you might not have, you know, went down. Even though, and, know, and, and it, let
2: me have experiences that I could now share, even older, because mm-hmm. even when we get into the play a lot. In fact, some of the people working with me, I knew when they were teenagers back then.
0: Oh wow! I got hit
2: the store that I've kept, you know that uh, that that, that, I, that I that I that I did keep in touch with. Yeah, I mean right. it was. Uh, I mean it so was you certainly moved, amazing. So it, it was certain. It was it certainly like. So
1: you moved to New York. You're. You know, trying to get yourself a steam up, you're you're drinking a little bit just to get yourself, you know, into these clubs and have the, the confidence and maybe even the social capacity to, you know, feel a little bit more confident about yourself. So then what goes from – what happens from there?
2: Okay, then I was downtown, and I actually uh... – started that 's when I met Bobby started writing mostly most of the songs that I did that were recorded that bands did were the undead. I think I had a few things I met some other people I wrote with, but I also started writing I had like a little theater company I started writing skits and yeah. we, and we did open we did do some clubs we did so I did like little like like vignettes and did open for some of my I, and then at times I even went solo and then I, people said I was a punk comedian unfortunately that 's when I was drinking. Funny thing is I have no memory of I have no memory of it whatsoever, but I do have a comedy record and there are people who told me tell me, Man, I love that routine you that you did. And I have wow. no memory of it whatsoever.
1: Oh my gosh. So how did you yeah. get into though the the writing with the skits and stuff? What was that something you always wanted to do? Was it yeah, I always wanted to, go to into? write. I was
2: like okay. I, I was always a writer but I didn't know I didn't know where to bring my stuff, where to take my stuff. I didn't know, gotcha. you know, what I w I didn't know what to do with it and but, and you know what you know what i'm I'm really just like in the last x number of years am I really really be ta- being taken as as seriously as a writer, especially with the problem. I think it's because even though I was writing then i didn't have the experiences in life mm-hmm. to really create depthful characters because i didn't have those relationships at that time, maybe because. I'd let myself be victimized by my growing up but that's part of what the problems about too. Even right. the song you're going to play later that you know what it is, that's kind of about that also. But but I think it took me on life's journey longer than it might be takes most people to really learn about people at, in a depthful way with relationships and characters that are interesting. Definitely.
1: Definitely. I, I think my I writing definitely. was much
2: more car- I think my writing was more cartoony and one-dimensional back then.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, speaking about, and not not to say cartoony, but let's digress for a minute, and then we're going to get back into your, your writing with the plays and talk about the problem, but talk about your books that you've written, and, you know, when did you do I, those? My, my and- kids work. Yeah, your kids work. Okay. Talk about that a little okay, bit. This That's is really kind of funny. As I
2: was making a transition, here's, gosh, I, for, I even remember, forgot how this happened. As I was making a transition out of punk, I had to come back to New Jersey. We had some pro, family problems. They came back to help my family on a number of different levels. And okay. I remember I was, I was doing some comedy in a club, late 80s, and it turned out there was a group from an environmental group in Jersey that was having, like, a dinner there. And they came up to me and said, Dave, you know, we like you, you know. Can you write skits about the environment? We'll bring you back to Jersey and put you on stage. So I started writing funny skits about about uh, about about, uh, wow. about the environment and about incinerators and you know like oh what's the second word sin you know it's inciner dioxin telling the ox- oxygen to die I forgot about all that <laughs> stuff uh, and uh, then from there I really I started first doing stuff like for adults. But at the same time, I was substitute teaching and mm-hmm. like the education, didn't want to be a classroom teacher, wanted to take what I was doing and see if I could turn it into a show for kids. That was mm-hmm. in the early 90s. It took me quite a while to do that, but little by little, I did, and then my friends in the environment started getting me in environment festivals. So the first thing I actually did my first speech, wow. was at Clearwater, which was Pete Seeker's festival. And I had some pretty cool songs early on. And then, like in the late 90s, I really started, I developed like an hour show. It was rough, but it was part about uh, our local and global impact for kids and mm-hmm. about recycling, saving rainforests. But in Jersey, uh, there was a lot of grant money if you would write about litter prevention, too. And I tried to make it interesting and study the history of storm drains and stuff. Wow. And uh, well, I'll tell you something. Can I, can I go on a tangent and tell you something really funny? Yeah, this go is, like the newest edition because I had to do like a middle school. Not everybody could do shows in seventh eighth grade. I had to do a litter prevention show. So how do you, how do you go into a middle school, even ninth graders, and get their attention?
0: Right. I did a lot of <laughs>
2: research, and I told them, you know, I'm doing a new thing now on trivia uh, for older students, tracing the history of litter versus the history of recycling. So I have an interesting trivia question for you. Here okay. it is. Who was the first member of a celebrity family to be fined for littering in public? Was oh, gosh. it a King? Okay, was it a Go King Tut's sister? King who? B. William Shakespeare's father. Oh gosh. C. Taylor Swift's aunt. D. Lindsay Lohan's mother. Or E. Justin Bieber's uncle.
0: Oh, well my in the school. Gosh. Almost
2: everyone. Almost everyone raises their hands for Lindsay Lohan's mother. Right. Uh, <laughs> but then I asked the English teachers not to hate me because, in fact, according to what is it, Avon by Stratford or wherever it is, to those court records, in the year 1515, before the bard was actually born, the father of one William Shakespeare was fined two sixpence for dropping rubbish on the grounds of England. Oh,
1: my God. But dang, that that I mean, like, Even in my
2: environmental show For older students I have like neat facts and everything But, no, but, then but that's anyhow, so creative uh,
1: Dave I mean just to compliment you and just That was just such a I mean I could never think like that And that's why I love just interviewing people like you And seeing how people's minds think differently So that you could make it interesting For the kids and, and get their attention No it's great
2: fact, But it's also the work I mean it took me months of work to come up with oh, that one question Oh I can't imagine uh, right. And then in the mid, because okay, I know we're squashed for time, I want to get to the books. Is that okay Do you want to ask? Uh, yeah, in the no, I want you to talk about these books. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was asked by a library if I could actually write a little show for the summer. They had a little grant to do with litter and recycling, but it had to be specifically about knights and dragons. Oh so I God, came up adorable. with this idea of – that was my first book, How the Land of Litter Became the Kingdom of Clean. First, I was going to write it about dragons that made a mess and knights that that teach them how to be clean. But my nieces were here visiting me at the time. They said, no, Uncle Dave, the humans make a mess. Animals are cleaner. So I made it about knights that make a mess and dragons that recycle. Oh,
1: my. And because I'm so curious – when you get this book together, like, how do you go about seeking a publicist and, and yeah, some of everything I did, I did myself.
2: Uh, 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 everything I've done, I, I've done on my own. I didn't, I never. Really? I, you know what? You know what? I think it goes back to my back again to the high school days. I had no right. trust in the system, so I didn't believe. I would, I believed I could put a book out and get copies out. We got a couple of thousand copies out, but the mm-hmm. next one's even more amazing. But. The thing is, no, I never even really approached. I've never approached any commercial corporation wow. publisher yet. I think that's what I have to do in my life now, but I never did. I've always done it No, it's amazing. And so, actually, did you did, and actually you did all the illustration? you did the books illustration in, for it? What's that?
1: You did all the illustration? You drew no, it? No, I, I,
2: I, the first book okay. uh, at an environmental conference A naturalist told me her daughter was an artist, Liz Liz Shack, very talented artist, and and asked if I would give her daughter a chance, and she did the artwork for the first book.
1: Nice. Okay.
2: Okay, that's been gone for a few years. About four years ago, the next change, the thing that really has made me in the the national eye for my environmental work is very strange. In the state of New Jersey, we have a program that uses the game of basketball to teach kids to recycle, and okay. not litter, and it's called Slam Dunk Do Junk. It came out of a wonderful town, East Orange, where a student there at a rally had came up with the idea. In New Jersey, it turns out it had been utilized different parts of the country, but in New Jersey, it came from a, a wonderful city called East Orange. They have great schools, great students there, and mm-hmm. uh, I've been to their school, so I know that's true. But anyhow, the state program, I am in, mean, the grant program said, grant program said to the performers, why don't you try to come up with songs, books, and I was pretty much the only one who did, and I wrote the book, and then I was introduced to David Cutting. Not only is David an amazing artist, he was the senior animator on a fairly well-known children's TV show on Nickelodeon TV called Blue's Clues. No way. Uh, Wow. Dave is, my, Dave is my partner now, actually. How did partners.
1: you meet him again? What? what how did
2: that happen? A, a, mutual, a mutual friend introduced us. Wow. That's how everything happens to me. It happens organically. Like I met Richard right. from The Grimps who introduced me to you. That's how it works organically. <laughs>
1: I agree. So, so anyhow, I really agree with I, we did,
2: you. We did the book. Okay. Then I found out no one in the government owned the website, so I bought the URL, and I bought the website. Awesome. And then I wrote the song, and here's the funny thing. I'm I'm really an older guy, an older white guy, and my friends who someone used to work with the Beastie Boys makes me a hip hop beat. So here I am in schools doing slam dunk to junk to a hip hop beat, being over fifty five <laughs> and, and thinking, you know, people but instead everybody loves it.
1: That's and awesome.
2: As a result of being the M C of Ecofest, mm-hmm. the West Side Cultural Center, this really phenomenal woman by the name of Nancy Callahan puts on her show called uh, a taste of Broadway for the fifteen hundred kids with the most improved attendance in the New York area, and the one in uh, around Christmas time we just had—I was just in that—and I don't even know how I'm included in this show. Carrie, there's like the cast and a couple of stars or four or five Broadway shows. I'm the opening act. Wow. And I <laughs> open awesome. up with slam dunk the junk, and all these kids in New York. Well, can I do a couple of lines for you? Can I do slam dunk yeah, the junk? Yeah, go, go for it. Go yeah. ahead. This may end up because this this could actually end up on Letterman or Leno, Leno becoming with a broom and a bottle. <laughs> okay. Don't let that bottle fall to the ground like a basketball. Pass it around. Recycle. Reuse it. Keep it in the loop, just like playing a game of hoops. Slam dunk the junk. Slam dunk the junk. Keep your court clean. It's common sense, just like playing a good defense. And when it goes in the recycling bin, that's a game we all can win. Slam dunk the junk. Slam dunk the junk. And 1,500 kids say that with me.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Thank you. I wish I had a, an automated clapping. I'd have a ton of uh, audience uh, clapping for you. Uh, but that's awesome.
2: And as now, far we'll- as the book is... We're over 5,000 books that we've already gotten that we've already gotten wow. purchased from us. And no one even knows about it. And that's without going to any distributor or anything. Although my dream now is to have the NBA and get some real basketball teams. I'm hoping the Knicks will do a Slam Dunk the Junk night maybe in April. <laughs> that would be
1: awesome. So can people go to slamdunkthejunk.com? Dunk the is junk that the, where people go? No,
2: you gave them davestreet.net. That's my old site. The new site is really slamdunkthejunk.com. Slamdunkthejunk.com.
1: There we go slam Dunk the junk dot com <laughs>
2: yeah and if, if anybody out there you know is, is a, if anybody out there has kids and that someone's calling me, they probably don't want to slam dunk the junk ah uh, either that or it's a <laughs> bill collector one of the two that's the other thing that makes you work bill collectors and uh right yes, uh, slam dunk the junk dot com so that's that
1: that's awesome no congratulations, that's amazing. I would love to see if you have copies of those books I'd love a copy of them and just to read it in. That's no problem. Yeah. No, I love it. I love stuff like that. Um, So let's do this then. I mean, you've done a great job just intertwining everything about yourself and giving us some nice background information. So let's take a quick break, and um, we will check out the song. I'll do a couple of plugs for some uh, advertising stuff, and then we'll come back and talk about the problem. Okay. Okay?
2: Fabulous. Amazing. Super Cool.
1: Okay, hold on, Dave. Dave. All right, everyone. Again, you're listening to the playwright Dave Street, and as he mentioned, go to com. That's his main website. That's where the book is that we were just talking about, and you can find out more information about him. We are going to now, and I don't want to mess up this guy's name, uh, we're going to check out a song from The Problem. It's called Now I See Past the Past, and the name of the artist is Sung Alex Male. That's how I'm going to pronounce it, and uh, he can uh, correct me if I was wrong. So it's an awesome song, and it's going to segue into our next uh, second part of the show where we're going to talk about his play, The Problem. So check it out, and we'll be back in a moment.
0: Once I was blinded by bad memories I could never see life opportunities.
1: Again, that was off of the play, The Problem, and it was called uh, Now I See, Past the Past, and again, the artist, Alex uh, Song Alex Elmale. and I think that's how you pronounce it, but again, Dave can correct me. It's an amazing song. Please go to BeAProblem.com. You can check out more about the play, or as he said, uh, SlamdunkTheJunk.com, too. All right, a couple of quick plugs for some people that support the show and that I support in return. Uh, Quantum Design Lab specializes in graphic design, web design, and digital media. They create attractive, effective, and affordable websites, marketing collateral, and digital media products. So check them out at quantumdesignlab.com, and that's spelled Q-U-A-N-T-U-M designlab.com. Also, please check out Flirt Energy Drink. I've been working with these people for about a year and a half. Um, My song, Vanilla Skies, off my album, Leave It All Behind, is used to support and endorse the product it is a energy drink that is specifically formulated for the female athlete. So check them out at flirtdrink.com. And also, uh, as you've heard throughout the show, Dave and I are definitely fans of comedy. Uh, check out Davin's Den. It is a fast-paced podcast featuring comedians Davin Rosenblatt, Joe Curry, and Pip Helix. So if you're looking for a show that can make you think and laugh at the same time, Davin's Den is the show for you. They go live Tuesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time to watch live episodes hear or watch old episodes, or find out more about the show, go to Davin's Den page on com and Davin is spelled D-A-V-I-N. All right, so let's bring Dave back now, and let's get into, no pun intended, The Problem. All right, Dave, you're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. You, All right, awesome song.
2: You got closest to pronouncing Alex's name correct more than anyone okay. else.
1: Oh, did I? Okay. I, how do you pronounce, it?
2: pronounce it? Alex Amale. But uh, Amale. Okay. Uh, you you came you came closer than anyone's ever, <laughs> oh, ever come you. to any. you. <laughs> That's good. And uh, yeah, we found uh, he we found him as the person. Well, you you start asking questions. I like your questions.
1: Okay, but you can please, like I said, my my you know, free association. My interview is very open-ended. You take me where you want to go, and I'll I'll follow your lead, too. Okay, so why don't you talk about when did you get the idea to come up with the concept of the problem in this way?
2: All right. This went probably back about five or six years ago when uh, I was having problems in my own life, health-wise, financially, taking care of my mom here, and at the same time, a lot of crazy things were happening to me. People were trying to force them into my, force themselves into living in my house. People were trying to drop people off of my house. And I said, wait a second. When you keep, I have so many problems in my, my life. What are you bringing me problems when I'm vulnerable? And I have problems. I started writing. Right. I started writing. Then someone else in my life came in who was a problem. And all he would do was call me all day and complain about his problems. <laughs> and two characters started to come out. Someone who right. was a problem. And then someone else who went around trying to dump problems on me and think that's how they would help problems. So I tried to write it into a script. It started out from reality. Okay. Then, then it becomes a modern Facebook story. On Facebook, uh, I connect with someone who she must have been an early teenager when I first met her. Uh okay she's an actress this past summer she ended up with one of the lead roles on Broadway in Gore Vidal's uh Gore Vidal's uh Best Man she played John Larwick's wife and wow. her name today her name today is Angelica Page it used to be Angelica Torn. and she changed it to Angelica Page Angelica uh, after her mother who was the renowned actress Geraldine Page uh wow. and her father is an actor too but uh Anyhow, I connected with Angelica after not seeing her for almost thirty years.
1: Oh my on gosh, Facebook. That's crazy! Okay, and
2: she was she was having a premiere of a movie that she had made a great movie. I, I, Angelica is a phenomenal actress, writer, director, and it was about Coney Island. I went there, and I said, "Listen, for old times' sake." Can I just get you to read the rough draft of this play I've been writing, and, you know, about well, what I'm going to was mm-hmm. like an old punk rocker getting frustrated and and problems and she said, "Sure." And apparently she read it and apparently she liked it so much. She said we're having a reading next week.
1: Oh my god.
2: Well, she had a place in her in her parents' house called the Torn Page Salon, where they would have readings, and that's where the first reading was. That's where the problem began. It took a couple of years before we had Musico. Then, from my work with kids and that show at Taste of Broadway and EcoFest. I made friends. I've been so lucky. I've had like a series of people, a series of like multi-talented genius women who are like my soul sisters who who have come (laughs) along to help me and uh, another one of them is Tracy Mann who's like a Broadway choreographer and she teaches tap dance and dancing to kids and stuff and she came into the project. She went to the first reading and then she co-produced with Angelica the second reading at a place called The Producers Club. Okay. Uh, at that point, we didn't have dance yet, and we didn't have uh, anything. But then I had the vision to add music and songs, and um, that's when I first met Paul of the Living Dead, lead singer of the Bad Hormones, which is going to be a massive, huge band. They're going to be they're, they're going to be massively big, and uh, Paul who knew my background as a punk rock lyricist mm-hmm. with the undead, he wrote he wrote the music for She Past the Past, actually. Oh, he did. Uh, he oh, actually awesome. Wrote that, he, wrote, he wrote that music. Uh, and then I didn't know what to do. Angelic had really been helping me. She she had been casting it, but I didn't know where to go. We needed another place. I, have, I had no money. I actually went on Facebook and said, This is Dave. Some of you know me. I have no money. Does anybody have a theater I can have for free? And about three okay. people came on, three people came on and offered me one.
1: Oh my gosh, Talk about just you know constantly falling into the right stuff It's amazing
2: but we chose we did it at a very cool thing uh there There was a place they just stopped doing things there, but a very legendary place called the Gershwin Hotel and they have a performance space in the back. And Nikki Carson has always been a trailblazer in culture in the East Village and had a modeling agency and and really connected with Warhol's like legacy 2 and the people involved with him. We're running like a series of performances and parties and and they came on and they let us do uh the first reading with songs. At the Gershwin Hotel. Now Natasha, who I worked with, who is a legendary punk fashion designer, making another comeback again now, doing she's had a phenomenal impact on American culture too. She was friends with more people than me, but I needed someone a real great woman's voice who had been an ex-punk rocker. Who could we ask? And she was great friends with Donna Destry. Now I don't know if if you know what you know that part of culture in America. Mm-hmm. Her brother Jimmy was the keyboard player in Blondie. Oh, wow, and okay. Donna Donna was the main backup singer in Blondie. Gotcha. And before that, she had a solo career that David Bowie had signed her to. Oh
0: my and, God. and actually,
2: <laughs> Do- Donna right now has been re-found out by a younger generation, and she actually has like a dance hit in, in Europe at this very moment.
0: Oh, And she cool. has
2: a brand-new album. I want to promote Donna, too. Go Google Donna Destry. She has some phenomenal – and actually – uh, yesterday we started writing another song together for the for the problem. We started writing a new song yesterday, a rockabilly motion, motivational song.
1: Uh,
2: but so the Donna sang, babies? Paul sang, and that and that was the next level. We did the Gershwin Hotel.
1: That was great, and how many people came to? Oh, that did was it- packed.
2: All, all, all of wow. our readings have been all of our pe- readings. I mean, they only hold like two hundred people, but every one of our readings great, have alwe- have have always been wall to wall.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And what do you guys amazing. do in terms of... No, but but that's great considering where you're at in terms of getting this, you know, to the next level.
2: Okay, and then it even went to another amazing level. Uh, okay. After that, then... Uh, we did just musical nights. I opened for Natasha's fashion show. There was another Andy Warhol thing at the Chelsea Hotel, and we got asked to open for some nights. Mm-hmm. Then, unfortunately, I got whacked in life. The last three years, I've had a, I had a torn tendon, a torn chest muscle, pneumonia. <laughs> almost went blind, oh my God. and I had an inflamed rib cage. And, and I've been trying to do all this and perform and earn a living and put on this play while I've been going through all this stuff, and so wow. it slowed me down. and I I was starting to get depressed, and I asked Angelica, what should we do? And then she connected. She said, well, you we need a director. And she connected me to this phenomenal director by the name of Vera Baron. And she had been in some major punk bands when she was young, too. And, but, and she's directed a lot of plays in New York City. And she understood the play immediately. And Vera came on as a director. And she, uh, and she also is an engineer in a major recording studio who allowed us to record our soundtrack there.
1: Wow. Uh, the John that's Kilgore amazing. studio.
2: Real, uh, uh, um, anybody needs a great studio in New York, John Kilgore studio. And she brought in Freddie Katz to be the musical director. Freddie's a genius. Freddie wrote a couple of the other songs. Freddie actually had done engineering and played and did engineering for Stevie Van Zandt. So I was like oh given gosh. royalty in this place. <laughs> <laughs> like like real royalty. We just,
1: yeah. So, I mean, And, and, so and then people. so we had the
2: songs, Vera busted my chops and made me do writing, and then Angelica mm-hmm. said, okay, it's time for the next reading. And Angelica was on the board of the Actors Studio, which is like one of the most renowned places in the world. I mean, aside from Broadway, when things are getting worked out, there's mm-hmm. no place like like on terms of, of theater karma that's higher than the Actors Studio. And we were allowed to uh, actually work it out at the actor studio and we did our and that's where we did our major reading at the actor studio. And nice. that's where it, and that's where then we did a little thing on Kickstarter, but that's when I uh tore my chest muscle, had an inflamed rib cage and I was not able to do any more. And it came like to a screeching halt.
0: Okay. And over the
2: summer one of my friends from TV, who's now on board as a producer, Carl Bloat, helped us do a trailer. You saw the trailer. Isn't the trailer pretty cool? Yeah, I
1: love that. I thought it was really cool. Yes. Yeah.
2: yeah. Everyone has to go to BeAProblem.com and see the trailer, listen to the music. So then we have the trailer. And then I met a producer who has produced downtown plays, knows a lot of Broadway people. We never knew each other our own life, and turned out that we're cousins. You have, like oh, amazing true. connections in this play. And we were yeah, all set to start like putting that. together a backers reading for Broadway investors when the hurricane hit.
1: Oh and gosh, so turned that? myself
2: and a lot of a lot of other people uh upside down.
1: Wow. Uh, so you guys did have potential people but from the hurricane that just put everything I- to a screeching halt?
2: Yeah, but just temporarily, temporarily, mm-hmm. and and now that's what we're doing now. Now we're starting to plan our next reading. However, our guiding light, Angelica, is now in Los Angeles, and she's becoming famous. So everything's skyrocketing, which is good. It's not bad. She's totally behind it, but mm-hmm. there may be some organic changes going on, but, but everything's going to make it greater and more powerful. Right now, anybody, what we really need now now we need some backers. This play is ready. It is ready to be a hit on Broadway. Anybody who's heard the music, or you just heard one song, and anybody mm-hmm. who know that that this play is about the soul of America yet it's entertaining it's funny, and it leaves no and at the same time as it leaves no mercy, it actually is very inspiring and and, right. and actually ha- has compassion and love at the end
1: so why do you and, and let me ask you a couple questions while you're talking about the actual concept of the play so. What do you think about it actually really reflects society and what's going on in society?
2: Because I don't think that anybody really knows what the solutions to problems are. Because mm-hmm. most, problems, most problems first, on one hand, come down to money. And look at the battle in society now between raising taxes or cutting spending and cutting programs. It's the, That's a problem. Uh, like right. Nobody really knows how to deal with the problem. And, and the play actually takes a look at both philosophies of government.
1: Interesting. In fact, Very interesting.
2: In fact, in fact, on the trailer, one of my favorite things I've ever done is when there's this guy who's like a mean, like arts conservative, Mister White, and they bring the problem to him, and he doesn't want to hear about it. It's not my problem. I'm not supposed to spend money on the problem. And then she, then Justine Makefair—that's her name. She's like his, his like foe, and she says. Uh, what do you do for a living anyway? Goes. I'm a banker. I make money. He says my brother's a w- trader on Wall Street. She says, "Don't you mean trader? T-R-A-I-T-O-R?
1: Yeah, I love and that part. T- I was going to mention that. That that was the one part that I totally just remembered right away, and it just totally captured my attention with that part too. Yeah, that was great. That was great.
2: And uh, that's one of the. Uh, but but then but then on the other hand, it's kind of funny because cause what it is, she takes the she takes the problem to different places, all reflecting American society. She takes them to her friends. She takes them to a church group. She takes them to a a place where they say he's going to learn how to make money, and it's really a multi-level marketing company selling vitamins. And here in Jersey, that inevitably is going to happen to you. If you need money, someone's going to say, we have an opportunity, Kelly. You're going to make more money. How much money do you want? You're going to make millions and billions of dollars. And you get there, and they ask you for your credit card. They're going to make money for you, but you have to give them $5,000 to start. Oh, my god, and, That's uh, so
1: funny.
2: Uh, and they're selling things that may be good, but they're also preposterous. They're selling facelift in a bottle and things like that. So they take them to the multi-level marketing. Then they take them to the government.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: funny thing is, I started this play when Bush was president, and was writing more about his government. And then President Obama came in, and some of my friends said, "Hey, it sounds like you're against the government." I say, "Wait a second! I wrote this, and I and it's I have to rewrite it, I guess, continuously as society changes because they bring it <laughs> to the government, and there's this bumbling government." Bureaucrat, it was a handbook on how to fix how to help problems, and he comes out with a box of money and throws money at the problem. And it says the handbook says the way you solve a problem is by throwing money at it. Oh,
1: that's so funny. That's really. But then they come out with a
2: new handbook and said, Hey, we have a new president. The new president said we have to stop throwing money at the problem. Only so much money for each problem. (laughs) And the goal is to wow. make a problem, learn how to not to be a problem anymore. Right, but then exactly. they bring him to a life coach, which oh and he learns about metaphysical success. And in my own life, when I had my torn tendon, when I had my <laughs> torn uh, chest, my friends turned me on to the, uh, the secret. You know all that stuff that was on, oh, for the whole thing about the secret, the power, and all that stuff?
1: Not, not really, really, but I think I've heard of it, but and I don't know much about it.
2: Oh, wow, but it's really... Okay, it really goes back to in the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. There was a gentleman... Because this really, what the play... Part of the resolution of the play. The, uh, there were In the early 1900s, there was a gentleman by the name of Wallace Waddles. Uh, and he wrote The Secret Science of Becoming Rich, but it was not. But it was actually an anti-capitalist book about why it's okay to be rich if you're a good person. And mm-hmm. he believed... That if you understood the nature of the universe, which is the fact we can't possibly understand the nature of the universe because all we do is live on one planet and we can't possibly comprehend what the greater universe is. Mm-hmm. And But if you understand there's something greater than us out there, however you want to call it or articulate it, and you align yourself with it by the way you treat other people and the way you treat the planet, which actually I guess is part of my environmental beliefs too, that sure. you can make as much money and have all the resources you want, not in a bad sense, not in a greedy sense, uh, but that the atoms and molecules of the universe, it actually comes back to the fact, which to me always seemed unbelievable, when, when science teachers would say the same atoms and molecules in a chair could be the same molecules in a shirt. But I mean, that's that's incomprehensible, yet it is reality. And that's where he started and, and he said that if you align yourself with the molecules and atoms of the universe and mm-hmm. conducted your affairs in a certain way that you would achieve wealth but not in a negative way that hurts others but the fact that there's mo- that wealth is not competitive it should not be competitive and that it doesn't matter what anyone else has or not have in fact in the greater universe there's mm-hmm. more than enough than any that all of us can need and have if we wow. only, under- only understood that that the universe is fluid, and that atoms and molecules can rearrange themselves according to our thinking process, our spiritual process, and our physical behavior. Well, and it's kind cool. of funny I because... I just want
1: to try, to try to turn it around a little bit just because we have a couple of minutes, and I want you to be able to right. plug everything still. So I just want you to finish up this one thought. <laughs>
2: sure, sure. Go ahead.
1: You know, go anyway, ahead. No, that, kind
2: of, that went into a weird place, I know. <laughs>
1: That <laughs> was fine. No, was was that what you wanted to finish it with by saying by you know orienting yourself and changing with
2: those? Well, well I mean that, that that that's what the problem. I had to do that in my own life, and like I, and right. every time I would do that, and every time I would like strive to be honorable and strive to like realize things. That's when that's when people would give me a theater. That's when like people would donate money. That's right. when all that really did happen.
1: Right. Well, I think it's so important, and I think you made a point. I mean, as. As you're meeting these people along the way and you're developing, you know, really strong rapport and interpersonal relationships with them, I think that's what's so important. You know, it's not like you're going up to these people and just saying, give me this, but you're not letting them be a part of it. You know what I mean? You're giving something back in return, which is an amazing opportunity in your play for them to, you know, work on with you.
2: Yeah. Thank you. you. Yeah, you, you understand that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, the, and, oh, and it brings, right.
2: sure, and the play brings the audience in and, and hopefully they see this transformation at the at the exactly. very end. Exactly. well I exactly. uh, well, well, uh, well I if I could do this, I've never done this before, but I actually have like a a forty five second clip of the final mm-hmm. speech where he's going on this journey with Justine, but then she goes her way, he goes. And he becomes famous, by the way. He goes from being problem to being Dr. Antoine the answer, who becomes a famous, like, motivator. But then the wrong people come into his life. His ego gets warped, and he Mm -hmm. almost loses it by, by believing he's more important than anyone else. He's in New York. It's the end of the play. He's insulted the audience, and Justine's there and says, what happened to you? Are you becoming the problem? And she screws his head on, and then he remembers about gratitude and they do a song called Gratitude. That's the other part of Wallace Waddles, is you have to always have gratitude for what you have in life. Absolutely. And, that, and that's a key part. And you as a psychologist knows that's true anyway, that the power of when people have gratitude, that that can transform hate into a liberating you know, positive force. Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm. So at the very end, uh, nice. she tells the audience, please give him one more chance. And and then they give him a chance. He gives a speech. Well, I want to thank Justine. I was going to give a rehearsed speech, but my life is a speech. I just want to give a speech uh, about what I've learned and what she taught me. And I, can I just do like 45 seconds?
1: Yeah, go speech? for it. Yeah, why don't we do okay. that? And then is we'll that, start uh, tying everything together. Go for it.
2: Okay. And, and among all the things that Justine taught me, she taught me that while at times matter might merely be an illusion, the things that matter matter because they are real. And on this journey, I think I have finally learned about the things that really matter. People matter. Love matters. Emotions matter. All things matter. Some things matter. Everything matters. Abbreviated. That is P L E A S E. Please, please become someone who matters. Join the Mets. And that's the final speech. But you're gonna have to see the play to see what that means. Because oh, he's also a closet baseball fan, and his like dream throughout the whole play is to be general manager of the Mets. <laughs> I did bring that up.
1: That's great. So, so, I mean, now you know and,
2: and then it ends where they'll come back and do the song called Somebody Has to Care. Was that was that a nice cool. cute little speech was it a nice little speech?
1: I think that yeah, that was a beautiful speech. I think that's a, a perfect way to kinda of tie everything in. And just to give you some uh kudos, uh Paul from the Living Dead just posted on my radio show page, which was very sweet of him and he said, I love your show, you did a great job with, great Dave, job with Bravo. Dave Bravo. <laughs>
2: oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, oh, that's good. And and Paul I I Paul is one of the people who saved my life too man so many i, I i'm I, i'm grateful wow. like, like so many young old in between people have come into my life and given me the like like the 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 faith to continue my work myself when at times it looked like like the future was impossible and paul definitely and look out for him because he is going to be a star he's a wonderful person uh, he's also an engineer songwriter, everything, and the bad hormones are are one of my favorite groups in the universe. Well, uh, awesome. I wanna...
1: Thank you so much, Paul, for, for making that a comment. And please connect with me if you can on Facebook. I have a page out there, too, so we can be uh, friends. <laughs> but, no, Dave, you're just an amazing talent, and I'm so happy we've had the opportunity to meet. And it's been such a pleasure bringing you on, promoting you, and let's definitely keep in touch. And please plug off your pages, your Twitter page, and say whatever you'd like to say, too.
2: <laughs> okay. So, everyone, remember, you can be part of the problem. That's our theme. We desperately need investors. Anybody out, please contact me. Go, Dave nine zero eight at yahoo dot com. On the site, be a problem. Don't send money to that. St- that site that 's been changed, but my email is the same. Go dave nine hundred eight at yahoo dot com or ask Kerry but but we this is an investment opportunity to come into this play. If anyone there has a theater space, anyone interested in theater, this is going to be a play that rules it 's going to rule society and make a difference in america. be a problem dot com that 's the website be a problem dot com
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much dave we 're definitely going to be in touch you and I off the air. And uh, I'll keep supporting you, promoting you, so it's been just a pleasure having you on.
2: Thank you so much, Carrie, and it was an honor to be on to be on your show.
1: Absolutely, Dave. Uh, yeah, Dave, I'm just, my mind's uh, again, long day. We we didn't touch base. Next time you come on, you'll come on for an interview when the play is really hitting it out there, and we'll bring you back oh, on yeah. and talk about other stuff. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but, uh, sure. uh great man. interview. And the podcast, you know, just so you know, if anyone couldn't tune into the live show, it'll be available once I go off the air so again, please keep promoting it. I'll do the same. They do great in terms of getting lots of listens and statistics. All right.
2: That's it. Oh, I forgot to promote one more person. Uh, music was done also by Donna Destry and Yov and uh, Ingrid Peterson from Ingrid and the Defectors. I forgot. I want to make sure I give everyone credit who helped me with that. And somehow I forgot to give to give them. And those are I think they're the only ones I had forgotten.
1: Okay. No, thank you. you. did an amazing job, Dave, and I will be in touch with you, and thanks again so much.
2: Thank you, Carrie. You have right? a fabulous show. Okay. You
1: too, Dave. Have a great night.
2: Bye. I hope the atoms Bye-bye. and molecules of the universe move
1: peacefully <laughs> through your life. That's the perfect way to tie things in. Thank you. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye. 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 All right, everyone, again, Dave Street. Check him out. Go to his website, be a problem.com and also go to slamdunkthejunk.com. So please check out the podcast. If you haven't been able to tune in to the live show or you tuned in late, that will be available at the end of the show. Again, I want to thank everyone who has been coming on my show. Again, the amazing guests. Please follow me on Twitter at Carrie Edelman. If you follow me, I will follow you. Also, please send me a personal friend request on Facebook. I have two pages. One has maxed out, but I did start a second one, so I love to keep in people, touch with people through all the social media sites. Um, if you can, become a fan of the Carrie Edelman Show. I regularly post all of the upcoming dates and events for my upcoming guests. Uh, let's see. We have coming on in the new year, some new guests I have coming on, comedian Tom Cotter. He was the runner-up for America's Got Talent last year, and he's going to be coming on. I'm looking forward to having him on the show. Hard Rock Band, Otherwise, and Hard Rock Band, Digital Summer, two amazing bands. I'm a huge fan of Sirius Satellite Radio, so I get a lot of my bands off of that station. Uh, They're going to be coming up for an interview. Uh, Let's see, who else do I have? So many different people. John Lieberman, the reporter for the Howard Stern News, is coming on. He's got an AOL show starting, as well as a new show on Stern's channel. So he's going to be coming on, actually, in February. So, again, thank you so much, everyone. I'm going to play a song, close the show with a song off of my album, Leave It All Behind. If you like what you hear, um, you can find it on iTunes, Amazon Music, and all other digital sites. And just to throw this out there, if anyone's listening, I am looking to collaborate with other artists. Uh, My genre is anywhere from pop, rock, alternative. I love stuff that has a lot of melody. I do all my own writing in terms of lyrics and melodies. So if anyone's out there and wants to collaborate with a female vocalist, uh, please be in touch with me. I'd love to hear what you have, and I'm definitely looking to get back into doing some music in 2013. So tonight I'll close the show. Since we're talking about the problem, leaving things behind, I think it would be apropos to close the show with my title track, which is called Leave it All Behind. So uh, check it out, and we will be back uh, next week, most likely Monday, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Haven't solidified the interview yet, but um, just check on all my pages and I'll have the updates. Thanks again and have a great night.